What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. As always, I am your co-host, James Jackson, with my main guys, Kyle Sirik and our residential statistician, StatMac, coming at you from Zoom again. We're away from the studio for this week. We'll be back in the studio hopefully very soon. But just because we're away from the studio doesn't mean sports have gotten any less entertaining in the past weeks, starting with the NBA playoffs and its conference finals time. And that brings us to the fact straight at you. LeBron has played against an all-NBA first or second team center four times in his postseason career and has a one and three record against them. Those losses coming to, to White Howard on the Magic, Ben Wallace on the Pistons, and Tim Duncan on the Spurs. We know now that LeBron James is slated to play another first team All-NBA center in Nikola Jokic um, going up against them in the Western Conference Finals. But before we get to the Western Conference Finals, I think we have to address what we just saw in that game seven from the Nuggets and Clippers. And Kyle, it looked like it pained you for me to say that game seven, watching the Nuggets come back from a 3-1 deficit and beat the Clippers to go to the Western Conference Finals. Like, what the hell did we see? What the hell did we see there? Dude, I, I mean, it pains me a little bit because I was just so excited for the Lakers-Clippers series, as I think everyone was. Everybody was, man. Everybody but was. I'm still happy to see the Nuggets keep going. I, I don't know what we saw. We saw a huge collapse out of the Clippers, and we saw Murray step up like he needed to. I thought it was going to be the Murray versus Kawhi show last night, and it ended up just being the Murray show. Mm-hmm. Murray had 40 points in Game 7. Kawhi and Paul George combined for 24. Pandemic P. <laughs> I will never no, laugh. No, but, I will but, never laugh. The best news about the Nuggets winning is that it proves that the NBA is not rigged. Because yeah, everyone knows Adam Silver desperately won in the LA, LA Conference Finals. And the Clippers just choked it away in Games 5, 6, and 7. And, and it's... That's- and that's what I want to be very, like, very clear about. Like, I want to give the Nuggets their their respect. I want to give them their credit. You know, coming back from 3-1, you have to win those games. But what we saw was a choke job. What we saw was a collapse by the Clippers and nothing else to me. Like, yes, I give Jamal Murray all his props. I give Jokic all their props. Um, you know, I even give Mike Malone a little bit of props because he's been on the hot seat a little bit and he's had to climb out, you know, out of the hot seat multiple times now. But when I look at a team that has... Kawhi Leonard, who was, you know, has been put in top tier pretty much his entire career in the NBA. Paul George, who's who's looked at as top tier. Um, and then also Doc Rivers, who's looked at as a top tier Hall of Fame coach. When you have that and you have a 3-1 lead, and when you're up 3-1, up 20 going into the fourth quarter of game five, that, that's inexcusable. That that is inex- that, that's a choke job. And and I don't know if there's uh, if we can hold the Clippers responsible enough for that. Like, I, blew, I don't think we can. They blew double-digit leads in the second half of all three games they lost. Like, that, that's insane. And uh, I just, the Nuggets came back from 3-1 against the Jazz. The Jazz didn't blow it. The Clippers right. blew this 3-1. The Clippers added the guy who finished third in MVP voting last year and the guy who won finals MVP last year, and they won a grand total of five more playoff games than they did last year. Ain't that something? Ain't that tragic? And if and if I'm Kawhi, first of all, I I mostly blame Kawhi for this. Like like as as the best player, as the superstar, as a top five player in the world, when a collapse happens like this, there's two people to blame: the star player and the head coach. So on court, it's it's Kawhi that gets most of his fault, as he should. But if I if I'm Kawhi, I'm really regretting 
leaving Toronto, you know, for for the LA Clippers this summer. Like I, I really, I really am. Like, if I, like, he's still I, on I gotta, Toronto, it's Toronto versus Miami in the conference finals easily. right now. Well, if we look at what Toronto had, Toronto was clearly just missing Kawhi. Like that's that's all this season that they were missing in the postseason. But if I'm look, if I'm Kawhi, I'm looking at what I had last year to what I came into this year. You know, it's it's night and day. You know, I had my my big three. You know, between you know him, Kyle Lowry, and and Pascal Siakam, and sometimes Fred Van Vliet, always you know being able to rely upon them to score and produce when he wasn't in the playoffs. You got to remember, last year Kawhi had some bad games. Like like Kawhi led them, you know, on court, but Kawhi had some bad games. Kawhi had some games where he didn't show up and be the Kawhi we all know and some of us love for him to be. But he had the difference last year is he had players who showed up night in and night out next to him to pick up his slack so that his 12, 14 point outputs don't look so bad because there's still a W in the win column. He didn't have that this year. He had Pandemic P running next to him. Montrez Harrell, who was very inconsistent. Lou Williams was very inconsistent. Doc Rivers, who has a lot to answer for. So when I look at what he had in Toronto last year, you know, a coach in the a coach of the year, Nick Nurse this year, a coach of the year candidate last year, and, and now going to to LA for for me, he he's got to be regretting his decision. He's got to be wishing that he didn't jump ship and he just stayed, you know, in Toronto. Because championships aren't that easy to come by, man. He found himself with a championship and thought he could just go somewhere else, wherever, and win another one. Like championships aren't that easy to come by. Once you find a team who's able to do it. I suggest you stick with that team for as long as you can. That's my personal opinion. I do understand. I, I've i never been more shocked at a horrible performance in a clutch situation than I was by Kawhi last night. And I know I have PTSD from the, what he did to the Sixers last year. But Kawhi has been consistently clutch in the playoffs from the time he became uh, an MVP contender. So starting in 2017, he was rolling through that postseason. And then he got Jaja in the conference finals and they lost. He was incredible for the Raptors, obviously. And he was great even through game five of this year's game five. He put up 36 on efficient shooting. And then out of nowhere, he pulls like a John Starks, except that's unfair to John Starks because John Starks, he wasn't a star player. <laughs> right. Was John like Starks a- wasn't, wasn't the best player on that Knicks team. So that is unfair. And when I look at players like, what Damian Lillard did for the Blazers, what Jamal Murray did for the Nuggets, even what Donovan Mitchell was doing for the Jazz when they were looking down and out sometimes and he was willing them. They were motivating their, their team. They were motivating their teammates and the other players on their team to play better. Even when Kawhi was putting 30-point games, there was nothing inspiring about it. There, were, there, was no, there was no galvanizing the troops on Kawhi's part. It didn't even look like he wanted to. Like Kawhi is, is a guy to me who looks like he can operate when the other people around him, you know, can motivate themselves and play alongside him. But Kawhi's yeah, but not I, the guy to get his teammates up. I think that's where you fault Doc Rivers because you know what Kawhi is. He wasn't the rah-rah guy in Toronto last year when they won the title. And and that's where Doc Rivers has to be the guy who riles up the troops. You have much better talent than Denver. I, I really like Denver as a team. I think they have a shot to beat the Lakers. We'll no, get to that in a second. At the top to bottom, the, the Clippers are, are a much better roster. Yeah. And they should it's, have been. It's the inexcusable problem. that Doc Rivers allowed this to happen. Yeah. I mean, back to Doc Rivers, I guess. He is now the notorious 3-1 lead blower. Third time. Which is crazy. But 
for Kawhi, I mean, you put up 14 points with Gary Harris, Jerry and Grant, and a little bit of Paul Millsap guarding you, and then Michael Porter Jr., and then you let Jamal Damn. Murray give, get 40 on Patrick Beverly, who's supposed to be one of the defensive Damn. point guards in the league. You got to – I fought Kawhi more on this one. And those are those are all, all collapses. So we'll, we'll move away from why the Clippers collapsed and, and give a little bit of, of shine and credit to the Nuggets who, like you said, Matt, like you got you to gotta win these games. Like there's, you know, it's, there's two sides of this coin. It can't all just be the Clippers let it up because the Nuggets were doing some very special things, you know, uh, coming out. And, and it seems to be Jamal Murray's breakout postseason, right? Averaged 18.5, you know, four rebounds and four and a half assists on 56% true shooting in a regular season. And in the postseasons, jumping it up to 27 points a game, five rebounds, six assists on 62% true shooting in this postseason. So I guess the, the biggest question is, does Denver realistically have a shot against the Lakers, Kyle? Do they do they realistically? I think they do. Because we haven't even seen many games where Jamal Murray and Jokic have both gone off. They've been winning these games off the strength of one of them. And when two of them come in, they win those games by double digits. They've won five games by double digits this postseason. Yeah. So, I mean, Jamal Murray's coming in. You mentioned the 62% true shooting. Break that down for people that don't know. I mean, he's shooting over 50% from the field goal percentage and like 47% from three this postseason. And when he's hitting these like going to his right, turn around three-pointers to put the game on ice, as a right-handed shooter too, where it's way easier to go to your left and pull up, this is so impressive to me. Last night, Jerry and Grant stood up, hit a bunch of threes. Paul Millsap was giving you threes. And if the team plays like that and Jokic and Murray come in meshing like they should, they have a shot. For more context on Jamal Murray, he's averaging uh, .195 win shares for 48 this postseason. Bring out the win shares! <laughs> if this was a Kobe playoff run, it would be the third best Kobe playoff run of his career. And a reminder, Kobe won wow. five chips. So yeah. <laughs> this is better than a couple of Kobe's chip years. And it's out of nowhere. Like, Jamal Murray's like a fine player. And now he's looking like a top 10 player in the league. If you just watch the postseason, you think Jamal Murray's miles better than Paul George. Miles. Yeah. I mean, you think a lot of people are miles ahead of Paul George right now. <laughs> I'm so done with I'm so done with him. <laughs> uh, so more, more Denver is that there, it shows a lot of character in a team when you come back from 2-3-1, six elimination games. And they've played lockdown defense in those six elimination games. They've allowed just 42% shooting, which it would have ranked second best in the NBA, and allowed under 100 points per game, which would be first in the NBA. Just incredible lockdown, slow it down basketball, which is how you win in the postseason. It's exactly how you win in the postseason. And something we're not used to seeing from Denver. We know Paul Millsap in his heyday can be a pretty good defender. But we know... Nikola Jokic struggles on the defensive end. It's never been his calling card. Jamal Murray's never been his calling card on the defensive end. Michael Porter Jr. has never been his calling card on the defensive end. And we're seeing them play defense in the postseason. And if you remember in the first two series, I mean, the only two games the Lakers have lost, both game ones, where they really struggled in those game ones is team is guarding teams that can really use that high pick and roll well with their guards. And both the Blazers and Rockets do that really well. And the Nuggets with Jamal Murray do that maybe better than I've, I've seen any team do that in the playoffs right now. Like Jamal Murray coming off a pick and roll is the most deadly thing happening in the NBA right now. And that's something that could, they could exploit for the Lakers. That's something the Lakers have been really struggling to do. We know they've gotten playoff Rondo back since those two game ones. So, you know, that, that might be the, the great equalizer here. But we know that's where they're struggling. And that's where, that's where the Nuggets are thriving right now. 
And I also think the inverse of that is Denver's biggest weakness, and I don't think the Lakers are geared to exploit it in that Jokic is very poor when he gets switched into the pick and roll, and I don't think Rondo has the scoring talent to exploit that at the level that even like a Lou Williams should have had against him. And I feel like that neutral, like that gets rid of Jokic's biggest weakness, which is his defensive ability. And it really opens up. It really it locks down the de- defense even more. I know LeBron is unguardable and Anthony Davis is all basically unguardable too. Pretty much unguardable, but, right? But it's, it's not going to be worse than it should be because Jokic isn't going to be as bad as he usually is defensively. Sure. The thing for me is, I know Portland was supposed to be like that, but the Lakers haven't faced that scoring output yet, and the Nuggets are going to give you those points. So the Lakers need to keep up, and we might have to see one of those like LeBron classic playoff games, 45, takeover, I win type of thing because the Lakers haven't, they haven't really been tested yet. You're going to go that far if they haven't been tested? In the Houston playoffs. gave them a couple good games after game one. Like, they blew out Portland and Houston. Houston played them close in game two and game three before mm. they went off the rails. I think I, I would pick probably Lakers in six, but I think it's going to be 2-2 after four games. I think Nuggets win game one, and then uh, Nuggets find another win before game five, and then LeBron becomes LeBron. But Nuggets Ooh. are – it's going to be a close six. Well, how about this? The late the Lakers are coming with a lot of rest, and we know that 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 could be for better or worse. Sometimes um, they've had off eighteen of the last twenty four days. So, are we going to see a rested Lakers team? Or are we going to see a Lakers team coming out with a lot of rust on their hands? I'm going to be cheeky here and say both, in the sense that they're going to be rusty That's game so one. That's so <laughs> uh, we know LeBron has game one as a feel out game. And that's why he loses them a lot and then dominates the rest of the series. So that but and the Nuggets are on, yeah, the Nuggets are on absolute tear. They're hotter than everything, anything possible. And they're going to be on a roll, win game one. And then that'll be like, Lakers will figure it out. And then by the end of the series, the Nuggets will be t- worn down. And then the Lakers will use that. They'll get rid of their rust after game one. And then they'll use the their rest compared to the Nuggets' rest to kind of dominate uh, the latter part of the series. Kyle, rust or rest? What prevails? I think, I mean, you got to say rust. They came in the last season, or last game one. They've lost both game ones in the last one. They went 4-1 in the first round, and the Rockets had to go seven. And now Nuggets just went seven. And they, they, uh, yeah, it has to be rust for me. But I I agree with Matt in the sense that they're going to find it. And I, I would actually say Lakers in six as well. But Jamal Murray in those game fives and sixes, I don't think he's going to be. He comes a lot. Yeah, he comes a yeah. lot. He comes I don't think he's going to take the backseat. I, I don't right. think he's going to be tired. I think he's going to start shooting like he's been shooting. And with the efficiency he's been shooting at, if he keeps that up, anything could happen in this series. Difference between this series and the other series the Lakers had to play. When the Lakers went up in every other series, they went up 3-1. The guards on the other team folded. Damian Lillard got hurt. CJ McCollum wasn't playing well. He was playing with pretty much a fractured back the entire series anyway. They go up 3-1 against the Rockets. Russ and James Harden pretty much tuck their tails and run away. You go up against 3-1 against Jamal Murray, and that's when he, like, turned cyborg. Like, that's that's when he starts playing. So, that might that might be something. But I guess, you know, to, 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 to dead it right here, I just see the Lakers running a marathon while all other teams are running a sprint against them. But 
the Nuggets do have a different mindset than any other team. And you heard it in that post-game, uh, that, that post-game interview right with Jamal Murray and Jokic. And Jamal Murray was like, the Lakers got to worry about us too. And Jokic doubled down and said, we're playing without pressure. We've been playing without pressure. And if we start thinking that, you know, we have all this to live up to, oh my God, we're playing the Lakers, then we lose already. And I think that's such a good mindset that, that they're going in with. Like once you alleviate that pressure from yourself, a, a lot of things happen. And speaking about a team who's been playing without pressure this pretty much whole season, especially this postseason, and that's the Miami Heat as they go up against the Boston Celtics. Game one uh, was last night, was Tuesday night as we record on Wednesday in the Heat edge out the Boston Celtics in OT. So the biggest question for this, uh, on a great before I get into on a great block by Bam Adebayo, we put on our social media which block was better, which playoff block was better, LeBron's game seven block against Iguodala or Bam's game one block against Jason Tatum, both to pretty much win the game. Before we get into it, what do you guys think? What best, better block, which is what? Situationally, it has to be LeBron, but he faced no, overall, on it. Overall, better, better block. The no, better basketball play to me is Bam. Game no, no, seven no. of the finals. Game seven of the finals. No, LeBron, Le, LeBron sprinted the entire length of the court to I catch up out of no, and came out out of nowhere. It's unfair that you put Bam in that position. It's like, yeah. <laughs> no, okay, so the reason why I did it, the reason why I didn't want to do it, I didn't think of this, but the reason why I did it is because I woke up this morning, Magic was saying it, everybody on ESPN was saying it, so many media talking are talking about that's the best block we've seen in, in the playoffs. It's the best block we've seen in NBA history. And I'm like, I had to like check my mental real quick. Like LeBron's block was in game seven, correct? Well, it was in the finals, yeah. right? Like I, I've been make sure of that. So. Then I posed the question, I was like, how many people are thinking that? And we're getting some responses on our social media right now. It's like pretty close of where the poll is at, of where Bam and, and LeBron is. But To me, Le- LeBron's a bigger moment. Bam is the harder block. You got a full head of steam, fully cocked back for a tomahawk, face-to-face Jason Tatum, and you've just got to jump and almost break your wrist at the rim to get it. I mean, that's, that's that harder. That photo of his wrist, like, bending all the way back is that's a pretty great tough. photo. Yeah. It's damn near basket interference. Like, his wrist is damn near in the cylinder. It's crazy. Um, but to get back to, to that series, what we saw from the Heat was pretty special, okay? Being able to grind out that game one win in OT, pretty much rain, maintain the momentum that they came into the series with. So, Matt, what did the Heat do in game one? And can they continue this the way they won game one? Is that the way they can win this entire series? Yes, I think it's going to go seven. I think the Heat will win the series. And I think it's going to be because Goran Dragic will play incredible against Kemba's defense. We saw that in game one. He might be Kemba's, the most underrated player in the league this year, Goran Dragic. The most most unappreciated. I've given him heat before because he made the all-star team over Simmons in his rookie year, but he's a he's a legit player. Uh, and he isn't afraid of clutch because he plays a lot of really important games for him in as a like basketball player in Europe for the national team. He that matchup between him and Kemba is really tough for, for Kemba just because he's short. And Dragic is such a smart player. We saw he had no turnovers last night. Mm-hmm. And I think the combination of that plus Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, who I think is now finally getting the recognition he deserves. I thought he should have made All-NBA this year. He didn't. But he could have been third team. He definitely did. Yeah. And this is going to be a great series. It's, it's going to be, there's going to be 
three or four games to go down to the last minute. I, I I would not be surprised if that's not. In fact, I'm, I'm banking on it that that's not the only OT game that we see. But I do think that he got the benefit of some things that they can't look look to continue to happen in the series if they want to win. First of all, they got to shoot the three ball a, a little bit better. They were sixth and three pointers made and second and three point percentage this season, and they didn't get the crazy three point output in game one that they're used to. Duncan Robinson is, is looking a little lackluster in the playoffs, 45% in the regular season, just 38% from behind the arc in the postseason. And they got 30, 14, what, 30, 14 and five from Jason Tatum yesterday, but 0 for seven in the last 12 and a half minutes and missed two game winners. Like that's not going to happen again. They, they can't bank on it. And where the Heat, you know, really turn up their game is is at the end of ball games. That's where they tighten their defense. That's where they get really efficient on offense. And they they didn't they weren't that defensively sound. We saw Kemba Walker hit two big buckets to to bring the Celtics closer. And Jason Tatum had what could have been two separate attempts at a game winning field goal, and he came up short. So I mean, I, I just don't think if if the Heat carry that out, that's the formula that the Heat want to play throughout the series. Then I think they find themselves at an uphill battle. But I mean, to their credit, they won game one how they normally win games, just finding a way to grind it out and, and win it and make key plays at the end. And sometimes one or two key plays can can be an entire game uh, of good play. And I think that's what we saw from the Heat in game one. And we mentioned earlier how the Lakers have only lost two games this postseason. Remember, the Heat have only lost one. Right. They, they swept the Pacers and they beat the Bucks, who had the best record in the NBA in five games. They are on a tear right now. I think uh, I think what they did last night is how they're going to win this series. The defense needs to strap up a little bit, but they played their game. They passed the ball. They're like sixth in the assist ratio this year. They passed the ball. They found the open shots. They were 28th in pace this year. They like to slow it down. The Celtics were like middle of the pack. They have to keep the game tempo their way, and they have to play their way. Jay Crowder's been hitting threes. Corgan Drogic's been hitting threes. Jimmy Butler's giving you clutch threes after shooting like 20-something percent in the season. And Tyler Hero almost had a triple double. 52% from three in the playoffs. He shot 36% in the regular season. I feel like that's not possible. And and Duncan Robinson does need to step up. But if I'm Eric Spolster right now, I'm starting Tyler Hero the rest of the series. He almost gave you a triple double yesterday. He hit some of the clutchest shots. He, I know Kemba gave him that almost game winner on the step back, but Duncan Robinson's been bad. And if you could have a 3 and D guy off the bench and he starts stepping it up, then that's dangerous. And I think Tyler Hero is just a better playmaker and all around on the floor is going to give you more for this Heat team. I'm always in favor of when a player starts shining in a position of keeping him in that position. I mean, not to make it hurt, but it's it's why I thought the Shake move was a little risky because what, yo, Shake was thriving in a role and then you bring him out of that role, you don't know what's going to happen, especially for a young player, especially for a rookie. It's his first time in the playoffs. So I think Tyler Hero is thriving in that coming off the bench role. You put him in a starting role, and may not be, you may not get that, that same sure. level of option. And it won't hurt you because yesterday Duncan Robinson played less than 20 minutes, and Hero still got like 32, 35 minutes. So if you, you want to go with, with that, how the flow of the game's going. Yeah. yeah. I'm more worried about minutes than whether he starts the game or not. Yeah. You don't get starter minutes from a bench player, and that's that's pretty much what they're getting from Tyler Hero. And Kendrick Perkins was right. Tyler Hero is good in any hood. Tyler Hero can walk up in any hood and and is fine. Like that man's a hooper. That man that man is a baller. But 
I mean, this, I mean, it's not like the Heat are going to run away with this series, right? The, the Celtics, it's, to me, this is a toss-up series. I see this going seven in either direction, but the Celtics now find themselves down 1-0. What do the Celtics need to do to get back into the series and win the series? How are they going to win it? Kemba needs to do something. I mean, Kemba needs to do something. He's been having a bad playoffs. We know that, but... I mean, in the games that they've won, he shoots 46%, gives you 21 points a game. In the game they lose, he shoots 38%, and he still gives you 17 points per game. But that's not a good 17 because it's not efficient. It's a lackluster like, 17. Tatum gave you 30 last night, and maybe he fell asleep. But Tatum had a good game. Jalen Brown did his thing. Tice fouled out, which hurts. But they need that third scoring option. There's not many third scoring options in the league that you you wouldn't be surprised if they dropped 30 points. He would drop 30 points, and I'd be like, all right, Kemba's back. They need right. him to step up. Like they, they don't need good Kemba. They need cardiac Kemba. Like they need the the max player Kemba Walker. You know that they that they signed in the offseason, You know who who's known to take over late in games and, and be one of the clutchest players. You know that we've seen you know in the NBA for for a little bit now. Like that's what we need. I'm not saying not, that Kemba's gonna go, go ahead. He's not efficient if he's not. He doesn't give you anything defensively. He needs the score. And and he's a scoring point guard. And when I look at when I look at his matchup with Dragic, I mean Matt, you you brought up how good Goran Dragic has been. But to me, Kemba right now is the better basketball player. I'd rather have Kemba on my team than Goran Dragic. It's by a slim margin, but I'd rather have Kemba. So if I'm Brad Stevens and I'm looking at Kemba Walker, you need to win that matchup. I'm not saying you need to give me 35 a night, but that matchup against Goran Dragic, Goran Dragic can't put up 29 and you put up 18. That's not that's that's what can't happen. You need to win that matchup. Because it's going to come down to, you know, what, what team can score the ball more, what, what team can get more output from more players. And if that's the game and, my, and the Heat win that battle, I see the Heat winning that series. But you got to come back with it, especially when you're talking about really Kemba being the only one having a bad stretch of games for the Celtics, you know, star players or core players right now. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart are giving you consistently good games, consistent output on a night in and night basis. And if I'm Kemba Walker, max player, all-star starter, a guy we put a lot of our chips in, a guy we replaced Kyrie for, that's what I need you to be. Like you said, that third scoring option, that cardiac Kemba, I need to be able to rely upon you to at least win the point guard matchup on a nightly basis. That That's what the biggest thing the Celtics need to do for me to win this series. I like what you said about the cardiac part because, okay, yesterday you deferred to Tatum twice for the game winners. He didn't get it done. And you hit the step back to keep you in the game and give oh. you a shot at that game winner. Right, Tatum so did get time, it done. Next time you find yourself in that scenario, cardiac Kemba time. I gave it to Jason. I deferred yeah. the first time. I think that was a big part of the Celtics' problem. And even in their losses in the Toronto series, Brad Stevens is one of the best, like, out-of-timeout play callers in basketball. And they just they let Jason Tatum act like these James Harden just do, like, step-backs. And then he misses most of them. Sometimes he makes them because he's a good player. But... Don't they stop playing like what they're good at in basketball down the stretch? They shouldn't just give it to Tatum and let him beat a guy on isolation or give it to Kemba. I know Kemba has the trademark step back, but run out of timeout plays and steal misdirection screens. Like play like there's seven minutes left in the game. Don't just act like it's the end of the game. You just forget. And Tatum missed his last seven shots, and I think a lot of it was because they stopped playing actual team basketball and playing. They played it like it was a one-on-one game. I kind of don't mind it a little bit, especially for a game one, giving it to what what is your best player, who is your best player, and seeing if you can get it done for you. One that that 
kind of washes out the 0 for 7 that he went in the final 12 and a half for Jason Tatum. Gives him that confidence and bravado back if he was to hit it. But if I'm Kemba Walker, I saw it, right? My proof is in the pudding. I, I saw it. I gave you that opportunity. But now it's my turn. I'm, I'm the veteran on this team. I'm, I'm supposed to be the, the heart and soul, the unsung hero of this team. And I know Kemba's all smiles, right? Like, I know Kemba's the, the happy, fun-go-lucky, you know, non-problematic, non-confrontational guy. But if I'm Kemba, that, that flip has got to, or that switch has got to flip. Like, it, it's got to be different now. I can't just sit back as the, as the second or third option going down the stretch when I've proven my ability to take over down the stretch and win basketball games for teams. I mean, it's it's the reason he's got max money. It's the reason he was one of the highest sought you know, free agents of this past year. So he's got to do that. He's got to want to do that, though. The same thing of, what, of why I had a problem with Kawhi and Giannis is he's got to take that. He's got to demand that. And, and I think if he does demand that, I think he gets respect from the Celtics. And I think he gets that opportunity to do it. And he's, we saw him hit the big bucket. We know he's more than capable of it. But it's 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 time to to come to the forefront if you're Kemba Walker. That's the biggest way I see the Celtics winning this series. He is the X Factor of this series. They win if he does his thing. Yep, 4-1 and one since the restart when Kemba scores 20-plus. But, you know, to me, the fact that he's only scored 20-plus five times since Crazy. the restart is is the problem in itself. That, that is the problem. Too much deferring, too much of this is their team. Let me assimilate. It's it's time to take over. We we know we know what it is. But uh, we will move on to our second segment here. We're gonna go from NBA to NFL because it was week one in the NFL, and I know all of our teams lost, so we we're kind of ducking away from talking it to week one. But we can't. Because the best part about week one is the overreactions that happen after week one. So we're going to play a little game here. Fact or overreact? And the first one, I'm going to I'm gonna just steer right into this kid. I'm going to start home from here. The first statement we have is it's the same old Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady didn't help a thing after week one. I'll start with saying... That's an overreaction. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the audience the same thing that Aaron Rodgers gave the Packers. What was that 2017 when he when he had to run the table to make the playoffs? Relax. Relax. It's week one. A lot of a lot of factors went into that loss, right? One, going on the road in New Orleans in, in week one is is never an easy matchup. Like, you know, regardless if you spent time together or not, that's never an easy thing to do. The probable NFC favorite right now. And having to play them in the Superdome week one. Two, no preseason. And for most teams, that's an excuse. For a lot of teams, you can use that as an excuse. But for literally the brand new Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't think you use that as, you know, I think that's a, a legitimate reason right now. It's the first time I saw live snaps against the defense. Was Especially with a new quarterback. A new court, you know, a new quarterback. That quarterback's got a new offensive coordinator. All these weapons have never played with him yet before. So, you know, that's something to be said. He had about a 70% healthy Mike Evans. Like, Mike Evans was clearly not healthy during that game on that hamstring. So, a lot of things make me say that's an overreaction. What about you? I tend to agree that's an overreaction. I think the Bucs will be a good team this year. I don't think there'll be anything special. Uh... On the road in New Orleans, it's a tough. You didn't get blown out. You lost by 11. There's a really stupid special teams mishap, which oh, is irregular. You shouldn't think of, that's not going to happen every week. No, that, that's, that's shit losing teams do. And, and I tweeted it. When it happened, like, it made me, I, I wasn't feeling too bad about the loss until those things started happening. 
until we got back-to-back uh, false starts happening late in the third quarter trying to mount this comeback that puts us in like a third and third and 15 situation all of a sudden. The special teams mishap. Brady just missing Aaron throws. Like it was shit losing teams do. That shit losing teams do. You beat yourself like that. So look at me about to overreact. Let me call talk before I before I go off a cliff. Yeah, it's an overreaction. But if we're basing it off of week one, man, does it look like the same Buccaneers. You have a quarterback that gives you some production, but then throws a pick. You got a defense. Two yeah. ambitions. You got a you have a defense that gives up thirty, but it really wasn't their fault because their quarterback put him in a hole. So it looked like the same Bucks, same but I think Bucks, they'll be right? fine. It was I think tough they'll be fine. It was tough for me to differentiate. Best part of that game was when they went to Jameis Winston on the sideline, and he was looking at Tom Brady like, "I mean, damn, I could have done that. Y'all, y'all <laughs> got rid of me. I could have get. I could have given you that same exact stat line." I have some bad news for James. Here's a stat about Bruce Arians. So he has coached. He has coached three teams in his career. He coached the Colts as an interim coach when Pagano got uh, cancer. He coached the Cardinals and he coached the Bucks. Mm-hmm. In the first year under Bruce Arians as head coach, Andrew Luck threw 18 interceptions. Carson Palmer threw 20 interceptions, oh. and Jameis famously threw 30. And Brady threw two yesterday. So maybe yeah, the first, that first year of yeah. Bruce Arians tends into um, and, a lot of interceptions. And the troubling part about the Carson Palmer and Andrew Luck one is, is those are quarterbacks who didn't turn the ball over. Those are quarterbacks who traditionally were good at, at not throwing interceptions. So to be fair to Luck, Luck was a rookie that year. That's rookie Luck. So that is, it's a little that, misleading. That is that is rookie Luck. But even, I mean, after that, Andrew Luck was a quarterback who didn't turn the ball over. He was no, He was known for that. Second one we got. This is this is probably my favorite. The Patriots improved their quarterback position after last year, after winning Week One against the Miami Dolphins. Cam Newton had uh, over over 150 yards passing, about 70 yards rushing, and two TDs, both of them on the ground. Kyle, factor overreact. Ah, man, this one was tough for me, but yeah, it's an overreaction. I mean. I'm not trusting Cam Newton yet. He looked great, though. I love how they ran him and gave him, like, rushing touchdowns, and they really flipped the scheme for him. Like, a lot of those were read options and designed for Cam, go get us this touchdown. So I love the scheme they went in with, but come on, dude, you're coming off of Tom Brady. I, I'm not going to say they upgraded yet. But they I really I really want to say yes. I really wish I could. Hey, Matt, say it, Matt. Don't be afraid, dog. Say it. I, I don't trust. I don't know if Cam's shoulder is really fully back. He didn't have to, it wasn't tested. He didn't throw deep balls. And you need to have a quarterback that isn't just dink and dunk. And I know Brady's not the best deep ball to throw anymore, but I I I think I think I'll say it didn't get worse. Their quarterback situation didn't get worse. Here's why it's a fact. They Listen, played the Dolphins. Here's why they did beat the Dolphins. Here's why. And, it, they, and it's not like, I mean, they put up, what, like 22 points against them? Yeah, it's not like, it's not like they scored that much. But here's why it's a fact. Is I will agree the Patriots upgraded the quarterback position. Like, uh, like am I going to say Tom Brady to Cam Newton, per se, is an upgrade from quarterback to quarterback? No. But the position that they upgraded, they're able to do more with Cam Newton this year than they were able to do with Tom Brady in the last four or five. Hell, maybe his whole career. Like, just the type of offense that they're able to run and how dynamic it's been. 
Like the only time you saw Tom Brady running was one or two yard QB sneaks, not design runs to the outside to stretch to make up for a lack of weapons on offense. Like that's that's what helps you. Like, like I I think the what they're able to do with Cam Newton, like I guarantee you, Bill Belichick was looking on the sideline, even though they only scored 22 points, even though they didn't blow out the Dolphins. One, the Patriots aren't really known in the regular season to blow out bad competition. I've seen it many times before. Well, they'll play a really lackluster team and beat them by 13 points because that's all they had to do. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna hurt themselves trying to put up 50 on the Dolphins for what reason? It hasn't proved anything. They're the Dolphins. A 50-point win and a 20-point win are the same thing. You know, both a W in the win column. But I guarantee you, Bill Belichick was sitting there looking at Cam Newton like this. Like, oh, shit. Like, look at what that boy can I've never seen this before. Look at what this boy can do. Look at how much our offense is opening. Josh McDaniels has said before that he wants to get more creative. Look how offense is opening. I, I'll, I'll give you that. that. I'll give I, you that. The, the scheme got got an upgrade. I don't. I can't say the quarterback position. But, and, you, and and I got no reason to hate Tom. Look at him back there. He's beautiful. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I got no reason to hate Tom, but they upgraded the QB position. I'll just leave it at that. Next one. The, I mean, this this one is crazy. After beating the Cowboys in Jerry World in Jerry World on Week One, the Rams are back. It was just a hangover last year. And the Rams are back to the 13 and three Rams we saw a couple years ago. Matt, fact or overreact? Rams are back. They're going to be a playoff team. I know I did. I, I'm reversing. Every, I bet both the Rams and Seahawks 10 and six missing the playoffs. I'm bumping both up to 11 and five, and they're in. I'm telling you, the Rams. It's Goff was horrible last year, and he was horrible in the Super Bowl. He had all these expectations on him. But I think they're a new stadium now. First game starting with a win. And I think the Cowboys are good. As much as I hate to say I think the Cowboys are good. The Cowboys are good. And they got away with a cheap OPI call that helped them out. And Goff didn't play his best. But everyone, they, I trust McVay to make this team relevant again. They were only 9-7 last year. They weren't that bad. They beat a good Cowboys team when they were underdogs at home. They are back to being an NFC contender. Uh, uh, Fact overreact. This is an overreaction. It's week one. If I'm not wrong, the Rams started 3-0 last year too, right? And finished third in their division. I don't want to talk about that. Talk to him. Talk to him now. And and a big thing for me is I didn't think there was home field advantage in the way the league's being run right now. But the Rams having no fans is almost the home field advantage. Because we know what happens when there are loud fans in there and you pack 80% Eagles fans and 20% Rams fans in the stadium. So it's an overreaction. I mean, come on. They were 3-0 I'm, I'm, last year. They beat the Saints last year when they were 3-0 too. And I'm, I'm not in. I'm, I'm overreact. One, I've lost I've lost a lot of confidence in Sean McVay after I saw the league pretty much adjust to him as a whole last year. And remind me again who the Rams quarterback is. Jared Goofy. As long as Jared Goofy is there, I, I really have I really have no no crazy amount of confidence. And they're now with what I saw from the Arizona Cardinals, I now believe the NFC West is the best division in football. You have if the Cardinals play that way every week, you have four not only like playoff fringe teams, you have four like legit playoff teams. And with in that the new conference. rules, with the new rules, you could have the whole division be playoff teams. 
Like that's crazy. So they're now in the best the best division in football, in my opinion. Um, so even if the Rams are back, it's going to have to be 13 and 3, 14 and 2, you know, to to win their division. Like they're gonna have to they're gonna have to win at least 12, 13 games to win their division. I don't know if we want to see that. We won't see that. I'll say one positive thing about the Rams though. I, I did like uh Malcolm Brown. I like him as a back, and Akers is going to get good, too. I think Brown should be their premier starter. It will be a little by committee, but I was impressed with how they ran the ball, which we haven't seen since Gurley. That's true. And I will say this. I do think Aaron Donald might kill Carson Wentz next week. All right, moving on. Uh, One of the last ones we got right here. Seahawks are now the title favorite. We talked about how good the NFC West is. We saw the Seahawks with a very impressive win. Russell Wilson went crazy. Matt. Factor overreact. The, the Seahawks are now the title favorite. Overreact just because I think it was a fluke what happened in week one. And I'm not talking about Russell Wilson being unbelievable because he had one of the better stat lines of any quarterback. This uh, probably the best quarterback game over the past 10 years, you could argue, just number for number. He threw as many touchdown passes in completion 31 for 35, four touchdowns, 322 yards. And the Seahawks did something that they haven't done in the past in that last year and the year before, they shoot themselves in the foot. Specifically, Brian Schottenheimer shot himself in the foot by not letting Russ cook. And by meaning that is on first and down, they'd run the ball, get two yards, three yards, and they'd be in, they'd say, oh, third and six, Russ, bail us out. And then he bails out them out a lot because he's the second best quarterback in football. But in week one, they threw the ball on first and second down, early down throwing the ball, as much as any other team in the NFL. And before that, they were bottom five in the league. And they were very conservative on fourth down. And we saw fourth and six from their from the 37. They did a deep, deep run. Ah, a streak route to DK Metcalf. Touchdown. If they maintain this aggressiveness and let Russ be the second best quarterback in football, they are the biggest contender in the NFC. But I I need more evidence to see that they're going to continue that. That's fair. That's fair. Kyle, factor over react. We said the league, right? League. Title favorite. No. No. (laughs) You forgot about that man, Patrick Mahomes, with a great running back. With with a great running back, by the way, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I am mad that I cut. You did yeah, cut him. But we did, did start bench cut. You did cut him. But, no, they're up there, though. Uh, I have them in the Saints. But I have them in the Saints every year. And each of them find a way to mess up. And But, no, it's KC for me, man. I'm sticking with the world champions, with the best quarterback in the league. And I don't know if I would. You said Lamar. I don't know if I put the Ravens over the Seahawks. But same tier. Here's my take. I'm putting if the Russell Wilson played for the Chiefs, he'd put up Pat Mahomes' numbers. I agree. I agree. It's the offensive scheme around them. I, I completely agree. I'm probably, I'm pretty much where you are, Matt, where it's an overreaction, but it could be turned into a fact to me and not not in hindsight, right? Not when they're like 13 and three. I'm like, well, yeah, well, now they're their title favorites. But if I see this week two and week three, they're going to go into my title favorite for sure. Um, so I, I think we saw a lot of good things from the Seahawks. But again, they're, they're running in the same division that we just talked about. The Rams are. The NFC West is going to be stout. To say the least. All right, last one. We're going into Baker Mayfield is officially a bust now. After throwing an interception on his first attempt of the ball game in week one, after what we saw against the Ravens, 
fact or overreact, Kyle Baker Mayfield is officially a bust. For former number one overall draft pick. Bust. It has to be a fact, but I'm gonna go with the route that Matt went last time and say it can change. I mean, you got the weapons around you. You got Landry and Odell, who maybe are some over, maybe are some overhyped wide receivers. It's starting to look like. Odell got to get traded out of there too. Odell got Nick Chubb, who I think's the top three back in the league. You have Kareem Hunt if you need him, and maybe your O line's not the greatest, but come on, what was the score? Thirty-one to six. It was bad from a from a number one overall pick. I mean, you have to say he's a bust, and you could say the same last year. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm, I'm in bust territory. I'm in bust territory. I'm gonna name some quarterbacks who had a better passer rating than Baker Mayfield last year. Just last year, so full season, not just one game, a full season. So Kyle Allen had a better passer rating. Ooh. Mason Rudolph had a better passer rating. Ooh. Mitch Trubisky had a better passer oh, rating. Sam stop. Darnold had a better oh, passer please. rating. Joe oh. Flacco had a better passer oh, rating. Oh, you got to stop, Matt. You, you got to stop. Some say sophomore slump, but he this is he has Odell Beckham. How, like Odell, Beckham Odell Beckham carried Eli Manning stats for a couple years for and you can't do what Eli Manning did at the end of Eli's career. I, I'm it's bust. It's I'm I'm in I'm in bust territory. I gave him the benefit of the doubt in year two, and and he proved me all sorts of wrong. So Baker Mayfield, shaky baby, like all up and down. It he it's it's bust for me. But um, I believe that that is it. That's all we got for our overreactions for week one. It's time to figure out what else happened in the past week in sports. Kyle, that's you, man. Take us away. All right, so after dropping the first set to Victoria Azarenka in the U.S. Open final on Sunday, Naomi Osaka came back to win her second U.S. Open title. If you remember, she beat Serena Williams in 2018 and also won the Australian Open last year. So now a three-time major champion and former world number one, if it wasn't clear already, there can't be any doubts anymore that she's one of the best in women's tennis. On the men's side, we had Daniel Thym finally get over the hump and can he officially can say he's a major champion after being 0-3 in major title matches prior. So congrats to these two, and a special heads up to Naomi Osaka for how she used her platform in this entire tournament. That's that's what I was going to comment on. I don't want to overshadow her her athletic accomplishment, her on-court accomplishment, because, you know, she won a major. She won the, one of the biggest tournaments in the world, and, and that should be at the forefront of the headline. But right after it should be highlighted exactly what you said, Kyle. Uh, you know, everything she was able to do and use her platform um, to, to speak out about the, the social injustices going on. So I, I commend her for that. She was also repping that Mamba after every game. She, she had the Kobe jersey on. She said it, it, she felt like it was giving her strength. So awesome. She also dates YBN Corday. So Puma fam. She's indirectly part of Puma fam. So I'm going to name it Naomi Osaka fan. Let's go. All right. So the Big Ten is also back, or at least it's coming back. So they officially kick off their football season on October 24th after a unanimous vote to resume competition. Each team's going to play eight games with two crossover games and no bye weeks leading up to the Big Ten championship game set to take place on December 19th. This makes the Pac-12 the only Power 5 conference who has not announced the football season yet. Are we excited? I mean, when I go, your team been playing. I'm I'm scaredly excited. Like I'm happy there's going to be college football, but I don't know how safe they're going to be. I hope it's. Uh, I, I'm going to be happy until I'm upset. 
So I mean, I'm gonna right. be happy about it. I mean, I mean, look, I was I'm a Penn State football fan, so I mean, you you guys, you being a put a Pitt football fan, you being a Clemson football fan, Matt, you guys have been watching your teams play. Your your conference is is underway. Um, so while a lot of people are giving the Big Ten props um, and credit for kind of doing their due diligence and, and waiting to see if they can do it as safely as possible for their players and personnel. To be honest, that's not what I see. To, to keep it a full buck, that's not what I see. I see a conference that got peer pressure. I see a conference that saw pretty much every other conference but the Pac-12. And let's let's be honest, no one on, on this side you know, of, of the Midwest line really cares about the Pac-12 because we can't watch them play anyway. They saw every other conference playing, and it was like that classic case of the daughter looking at her mommy and saying, Mommy, everybody else has one. Why don't I have one? Like, their players... We're asking the question, if every other conference is playing, why aren't we? And the Big Ten didn't really have an answer. The Big Ten were saying, because it's not safe. And they were like, well, if it's not safe, why are they doing it? And they literally couldn't answer that. They had no answer for them. Ryan Day, the Ohio State football coach, literally was like, when my players ask me why the other conferences are playing and we're not, I don't have an answer for them. So I think they got peer pressure. I think they saw that, hey, you know, all these three other conferences are playing games their players are getting are, are getting noticed. Their schools and their conferences are making money. And let's not forget, the Big Ten has two top five teams in Ohio State and Penn State and has a college football playoff like contender and runner-up in Ohio State and a Heisman front-runner in, in Justin Fields. They have a lot of incentive to play. And I think they, they just looked at the other leagues and, were, and threw their hands up and, for lack of better words, were just like, fuck it. If everyone else is playing, we're playing. Like, I, I, I kind of like the uniformity of it. If if everyone's in, you know, we'll all be in. If everyone's out, we'll all be out. But I, I stopped short at giving the Big Ten its praises for trying to be as safe as possible and waiting to make a play. And no, they got peer pressure. That's all that it was for me. I agree. But I can't wait to watch Penn State lose more football games. Yeah, whatever, dog. You're lucky, <laughs> they, you're lucky they don't do that game this year. Yeah. Well, well, moving forward. <laughs> the all-NBA teams were announced today, and here they are. So the first team goes Harden, Doncic, Giannis, LeBron, and AD. The second team goes CP3, Dame, Kawhi, Siakam, and Jokic. And the third team goes Ben Simmons, Westbrook, Tatum, Jimmy Butler, and Gobert. This is huge for Ben Simmons and Siakam as they're going to get 3% salary increases starting next year. And for Ruby, Rudy Gobert, who's now fully Supermax eligible. One person who's hurt by this is Joel Embiid, who will have to try again next year if he wants to be Supermax eligible. Mm. What do we think about the lists? Before you talk about the Embiid snub, Matt, I knew that, I know that's where you're going. Before you talk about the Embiid snub, I'm happy Chris Paul got second team. But just like his all-star selection, I think this is it's it's less stat-induced and, and more giving props to what he was able to do for the Thunder. I was not expecting to see Chris Paul on. Like, if he got third team, I'd be like, okay. But to see him second team is crazy. And to not see names like Brad Beal, Trey Young, or Joel Embiid on any of these three teams is astonishing. Brad Beal in particular. Like, yeah, I think Brad Beal was the biggest snub. Twice in one year. Crazy. Like, that's insane. I'm going to surprise you, James. I don't think Embiid was snubbed. He missed too many games. You think that's the reason he got left off? He missed too many games. Like, he wasn't, like, unbelievable in the games he played. I think if he played a full season, he should have made it over Gobert, but he didn't play a full season. So I, I have nothing wrong with that. Um, Chris Middleton, I did my All-NBA team 
and I'm looking at mm-hmm. item 17. He didn't make it at all. And I know everyone wants to like joke about the Bucks because they choked out of the playoffs, and they absolutely deserve all the heat they get because it's embarrassing what happened to them. But it's a regular season award, and Chris yeah. Middleton was the second best player on the best team in the regular season. He deserves to get more. We talked about it. We talked about it when when the restart when the restart happened. That's a 50-40-90 season that man put in. The only fifth time in NBA history. So, yeah. like, I, I also awesome. thought Lowry and Adebayo should have made it, but I'm, it's, that's not, those aren't huge snubs. But I can't put that up there. But no, I agree. I, I'm not mad at the Embiid. He actually finished like 31 votes back to Gobert, and when you really look at it, like it's not a snub. But the Bradley Beal one is. I, I got no. I don't think Trey Young's a snub personally. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I think he has you know kind of empty stats. Um, but I do think Brad Beal's a snub. I do think 100%. Brad Beal is definitely a snub. Westbrook was better, was not better than Brad Beal this year. 100%. Facts. Facts. All right. So Jalen Ramsey and the Rams have agreed to a five-year, $105 million contract this past week, including $71 million guaranteed. This is the largest deal any NFL cornerback has ever received, which comes a week after Trey White signed his then record-breaking deal. If there's a corner in the league that deserves it, I mean, it has to be Jalen Ramsey, right? Showed it week one, too. Had a tremendous had a tremendous week one against against the Cowboys, and for a long time, I think I won't say a long time. He hasn't been in the league for a long time, but for the past two almost three years, the best cornerback in the league, to my, in my opinion, has been Jalen Ramsey. Um, and he's been a, he kind of has the, the Darrell Revis effect, right? Where he's not going to lead the league in interceptions or pass breakups. You're not going to see his name a bunch because no one throws to his side. You don't throw where Jalen Mills is, and you know I think it was a long time coming. He absolutely deserves it, especially. With the Rams losing Marcus Peters, he's definitively the best corner on that team. The Rams have money to give, and they and they they gave it to the right person. I'm happy for him. I like it too. I just want to give a quick shout out to to Davis White and Stephon Gilmore, who are also in that discussion. Best corner, absolutely. I agree. And the last thing we have uh, is that the Dallas Stars have made the NHL Finals for the first time since 2000. Matt, give me some more insight on that one. I I just have a question, and I'll have a challenge. I'll give you one of you guys. I'll give you ten dollars to the first person who can name a single Dallas Star. You have fifteen seconds. No googling. I bow out. <laughs> that ten dollars intrigued me, bro. I'm trying. Uh, ten bucks. I'm trying. A Dallas Star. Uh, Zdeno Chara. No, he's on the bridge. <laughs> I literally uh, don't even like Matt. Like I don't like at least. At least you had a name. I literally don't even have a name for you. Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry are the two names I can think of. And I only know them because they were famous on other teams. And then Pavelski was a Red Wing, right? He was a Shark. I'm wrong. That's my hockey knowledge. Y'all seen that that Chance the Rapper SNL skit where he's reporting on hockey? Let's do that hockey. Here goes that hockey. Let's do that hockey. And one more quick thing. The Phillies called up former number one overall pick Mickey Moniak. Huge. Huge. I saw him hit a home run. I saw him hit a home run last year. And that was sold. You know what that is? That's that's Hail Mary at the fifty right there. That's the last. That's our last option. I don't. They're still I mean, in the playoff spot, I see, bro. I see. I'm not worried. I see. Wheeler's back today too. I think. They all did right, well, well, that's, last night. That was big. big that's win. all we got for this past week in sports, and let's move on to the countdown. So number five, the number of first round picks the Clippers gave up for Paul George. The Clippers gave up first more first round picks. Then Paul George had made field goals in game seven. PG had four field goals made in game seven. Pandemic P. My goodness. 
And it's part of the reason why I think Kawhi is regretting because the only big change the Clippers can make this offseason really is firing Doc Rivers. Everything else is pretty much locked in for the next near future. And Kawhi looks to his right, and if he wants to go anywhere, that's his running mate. Yeah. And let's let's just call it six first-round picks for that man, Shea Gilgis, because yeah, for real. He, he could probably had a better postseason than PG did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, look, 80% of the NBA had a better postseason than PG did. <laughs> Deuce Tatum had a better postseason than PG did. <laughs> All right, number four. The number of week one losses Tom Brady has in his career, he's 14-4 and four now after his loss to the Saints on Sunday. But every he's undefeated. he's lost he's, week one, he's he going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Say it again? He's also, he also is undefeated in week two after week one losses. And I'm pretty sure all those the, the previous three times he's lost week one, he's found himself in the Super Bowl. So if, if that's if that's the pattern, I know at least two of them. Oh three, they the lost one most recently and, against oh, and KC. Fourteen and the one like, 2014, they're own one as well. Same with seventeen, they lost to KC Mark and KC they made this. Oh yeah, yeah. yep, you're bingo. Right. I'll take Num- it. Number three. The amount of the, the amount more rushing yards Ben Roethlisberger had than Saquon Barkley had in Monday Night Steelers Giants matchup. Ben Roethlisberger had nine rushing yards. Saquon's Barkley finished with six rushing yards. Ooh. R.I.P. to people oh, who what drafted are we, what Saquon Barkley in That O line was horrible. He actually he had a great catch though. He looked alright. Is that? I mean that, and that's the highlight we saw. His hurdle is the only highlight we saw Saquon off that. Off if the you could bet, if you could bet Roethlisberger to have more yards than Saquon Barkley in Week One, I wonder what you odds you get, like a hundred to one. I think more. <laughs> oh more my than God, that. that's like a two hundred thousand dollar payout right there. You got <laughs> but the amount of time Saquon got hit in the backfield was just ridiculous. You can't pin that all on him. No, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. anyone is. I don't think anyone is. Like, yeah. no one looked at And it's the thing. Like, you look at six rushing yards, and for some running backs, you go like, wow, they had a terrible game. You see Saquon have six rushing yards, and there's a reason for that. He, like, didn't play most of the game. His offensive line was terrible. He had three rushing attempts. Like, there's something that points to it. Like, he didn't just have six rushing attempts because he had a lackluster game. That's not Saquon. Yeah. All right, number two. The number of players who have won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same season, that's Michael Jordan, 87-88, Nakeem Olajuwon, 93-94, and, and it looks like Giannis is going to become the third player to join that group when Ain't the that MVP tragic? Ain't that tragic? Because I fault the NBA as to why people don't think Giannis deserves it anymore. Because if they stopped doing this whole NBA awards and waited till the middle of summer to try to get as much money out of it as possible and, you know, go in the MGM grant and all that, if they just did it at the end of the regular season, because it's a regular season award, both of them are like they've done in the past, no one would sit here and say Giannis doesn't deserve these two. But because the NBA does it the way they want to, I'm screaming Giannis doesn't deserve this anymore. Like, it's tragic that after the playoffs that he turns in, that someone's got to come around and hand him an MVP and Defensive Player of the Year after that. It's a regular season award. He deserves MVP. I think he deserves MVP. I'm not super sold on Defensive Player of the Year, though. I think AD might have probably should have won that one. I want to say no one's happier in the world other than the Nuggets than Giannis is if the Clippers collapsed. Because now all that heat is off Giannis. He was horrid this postseason. I know he hurt his ankle, but in the games he played, he was horrible. 
Yeah. All right, number one. Number one, the teams in NBA history to come back from a 3-1 deficit twice in the same postseason. That's this year's Nuggets. We talked about them at length to open the episode, and we'll we'll give them shine one more time. To come back 3-1 once is, you know, damn near impossible. It doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen that often. To do it twice, we see it's it's unprecedented, and the Nuggets did it back-to-back to the second best team in the Western Conference all season. So I think we're watching, we've known Jokic has been the superstar, and I think we just watched Jamal Murray put himself in the star slash superstar category in these last two playoff series, for sure. And if and if they beat the Lakers, I got to say, this is the greatest postseason run there's been. You got to put it down, if, right? If they beat the Lakers, Jokic becomes top five. Also, I think they're one of, I think if you go to all sports, I think it's only two. I think... Only other one is I know the '85 Royals came back from three one the ALCS and World Series, so I think even if you include hockey and baseball, it's still only one other. It's an incredible achievement. Yeah, wow! All right, special number zero, number of career MVP votes Russell Wilson has gotten his career. That's gonna change. That's gotta no, change. No, that doesn't make any damn sense. That makes no. No, damn no. this is what sense. happened. In 2015, everyone said Cam Newton is the MVP, no doubt about it. When if you really look into that race, there are three people that could have won, and it's Cam, Russell Wilson, and Carson Palmer. Who, did, If in a right system, they both all would have gotten like a close amount, and then maybe Cam wins, maybe Carson Palmer. But everyone went nuts that the Panthers went 15-1, and one, and people lost their minds, and Cam almost won that unanimously. Russell Wilson, it's it's an anomaly. You cannot ever, ever, you'll never be able to explain to me how he doesn't have a vote to not win it, whatever. That's what you can explain to me. You know, Cam's MVP season, Aaron Rodgers' MVP season, Matt Ryan's MVP season, all kind of overshadowed Russell Wilson in that year. But there is not one player, coach, GM, or media that gave him a vote, not one. No, this 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 is what's really messed up. Bobby Wagner got a vote in 2014. Bobby Wagner got an MVP vote. And I love Bobby Wagner. He's a but he's not an MVP. Like he's a linebacker. And you gotta remember, Russ didn't even get the Super Bowl MVP when they beat the Broncos. Bobby Wagner got that Super Bowl MVP. Like like, Malcolm Smith. Malcolm even worse. (laughs) Even worse. It's the 2012 NFL QB class had Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck. Kirk Cousins, RG3, and the only player with Super Bowl MVP from that class is Nick Foles. I'm so mad that you said that right now. That's a great stat. I love that stat. Absolutely. So mad. Um, But that's it for Countdown. So we're almost out of time for this episode, but we can get some shots about the buzzer. Kyle, got anything to say at the buzzer? Yeah, I just want to shout out to the Pitt football team, who's officially ranked for the first time since 2018, where they're only ranked for one week. They won 55 nothing against Austin P. I'm not going to look too deep into an Austin P. win, but they only played 20 minutes in the whole second half. I don't know how that happens, but they played 10-minute quarters. But I've been high on this team all summer. I've been telling people they're the second-best team in the ACC. I've been laughed at. All the media has been laughing at them like that. And now we're ranked in 20-something point favorites against Louisville this weekend. So I'm excited for this year. To be fair, the second-best team in the ACC is like, the tallest guy like or the shortest nba player it's like yeah he's still gonna be like not every year he's terrible not every, not line. That's what not line. i mean terrible. you got virginia tech 
Florida Pitt State. Can go like eight and four, and it'll be like, yeah, they're the second best team in the ACC. It's like, but like other conferences, like there's a, like a contender for a New Year's Six Bowl. ACC is really falling off. I'll agree with that, but you, there's always a team or two every year: a Virginia Tech, a Florida State, UNC. Virginia apparently, has one of the best. Virginia, Virginia, last year. Virginia was very Virginia good. Last yeah. year, yeah. Virginia top to bottom, year. the division sucks, but the top four are always a little alright. Yeah, Matt, would you? I think we go ten and three. I'm just going to talk about the Miami Heat a little bit because I don't think they get enough credit for their rebuilding. Everyone talks about the Sixers because of the process and the Celtics because it was kind of like the counter process because rival rebuilds at the same time. But the Miami Heat rebuilt to be a conference finalist without having high draft picks. They only had one top 10 pick and that was Justice Winslow. And this is a team that had, they lost arguably the greatest player of all time, LeBron James, in 2014. They had a player who they gave a max contract to, Chris Bosh, retire unexpectedly because of blood clots. They lost Dwayne Wade, then got him back, then he retired again. And they still, with, all without an, an amazing big trade or blockbuster or anything, they built themselves into a team that could make the NBA Finals. With Bam out of bio, people like Tyler Hero smartly trading for Jimmy Butler. It's just un- Pat Riley is just unbelievable. You never doubt Pat Riley. And and they didn't even have to go into a lackluster year or two to make that happen. You know what I no. mean? Like, like most teams go into a lottery or year, your lottery or two year situation where they're bad. But even when they lost all of them, when Dwayne Wade was was leaving and coming back, they were what a seven seed. Like, they had a year where they won, like, 35 and 47. They're like, okay, whatever, one bad right, year. Yeah. And, and, they, and, they fought, and they fought the Pacers that year to get into the playoffs. The Pacers edged them out that year to get in the playoffs, but they were fighting for a playoff seed. Like, they never were okay with being bad. And I, if I'm Adam Silver and I want to stop tanking, I plaster Miami Heat story, like, on every yeah. billboard possible. I agree. Um, what I have to say at the buzzer is, look, y'all know I love hating the Eagles. I mean, love hating the Eagles. It's, it's one of my, my favorite hobbies to do. Y'all make it so enjoyable. Um, and it's really my hate stemmed for a long time is just how out of bounds, how OP Eagles fans can be sometimes. Um, and, you know, it really stems back to y'all throwing snowballs at Santa, which I, I just can't ever forgive someone throwing snowballs at Santa. But that's not my point here. My point is Eagles fans have never, ever done anything as bad as what I saw from the Kansas City Chiefs fans on Thursday when they booed the symbols of unity and solidarity from the, the Chiefs and Texans on Thursday night. Like, I, I've, I've said a lot of bad things about Eagles fans, but that's the worst fan showing, the worst fan moment I've ever seen in sports history. And, and it, it proves that the booing for the standing up for the flag was never about the flag. They were never booing because people were kneeling against the flag. They're literally booing because they're seeing people stand up for equality for black people in a place that they don't want to see people doing that. And that's in the NFL. So the blood, you know, cats out of the bag, the blindfold is off. We see what it really is now. And I, and what's even more disappointing it is I've yet to see the Kansas city chiefs organization address it. Like they're kind of just hoping that that gets swept under the rug and it really shouldn't because that stadium was at 20% capacity and those boos were prominent. I heard them, Jones, on, on the TV. Like, it, like it didn't have to hear. They didn't have to turn the crowd mic up. I didn't have to see it on social media. Like, I heard them boos from, you know, and they're booing their Super Bowl champion team. Like, this is the team you're supposed to be in love with. And they boo. You know, what I, 
what I find really scary about that is that I think five years ago they would want to boo, but they know they shouldn't. Yeah. But they they feel like they're empowered to boo now, and it's like they're not like a, they don't want to. They should be socially ostracized. Anyone that's seen on camera doing that should be like socially ostracized, and that's just not the climate we live in anymore. Fuck socially ostracized. Like I would love to see a stadium, especially now because there's not as many fans in it. If you if you're a security or personnel, you notice a fan booing something like that, repercussions to that fan. Like I don't know if you could kick them out of the game, but some kind of repercussions for that fan. Because that, like, you just can't. If we truly want to change the narrative, we truly want to move forward. You can't just allow that to happen with, with nothing to atone for it. Like, like that's bad on the Chiefs' part, in my opinion. Um, but I, I just had to, I had to give credit where credits due. While I do think Eagles fans are erratic sometimes, I've never seen them do anything like that. I'd, I'll take throwing snowballs at Santa over booing uh, a symbol of solidarity. You know, you know standing up for equality for black people and any any day of the week so y'all y'all get a pass for me in my opinion for that but that's all the time we have for this episode big ups to both of my guys we're not in studio so i can't really give credit to, to philly hall of fame and, and the academy in wilmington today but thank you to my guy kyle Sirik for joining in again for my man stat matt i am james jackson these have been the facts straight up hey hell of an episode Oh, Fun yes. fact, my grandpa was at the game. 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 My grandpa was.